1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 15 of The Tatecast. My name is Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter, at Davis Maddock. This week, I am bringing you the man behind the podcast, the man behind the Pat Mayo experience, Mr. Pat Mayo himself. I actually don't know this, Pat. How often have you guested on podcasts that don't have your name in the title?
0: Uh, very infrequently. I- I've been doing my show so often, recently
1: and over the past few years that I don't have time to really jump on other people's shows. So I was I was very excited to have this opportunity because you and I have been doing podcasts together off and on golf, football, soccer. I I mean, probably three years we've been doing shows together, I would guess.
0: Yeah, or even a little bit more. You're, You're always a good hang. And that's the single biggest thing that I look for in a guest is just someone I can actually like shoot the shit with.
1: I like that. I also like guests that um use the recording software that I use and I don't have to call their cell phone. Perfect. So so we're in simpatico on this one. Yeah. Uh just just a little behind the scenes peeling back the curtain. If I ever have a guest on this show that you're like, wow, I can't believe that guest agreed to do the show, it was probably a giant pain in the ass for me to get a hold of them and record with them. Like when I not that I am mad about it, I understand that these people have better things to be doing than than talking on the internet with me, but like calling someone and recording on their phone is, is kind of a logistical nightmare. I'm sure you've been there as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's one of the reasons that I I use so
0: many guests over and over and over. Like, I sort of have a stable of guests that I go to. And Mm -hmm. I mean, most of them I've I've vetted that, you know, they have good information, I have a good rapport with them, or they bring something to the table. They're also super easy in terms of like, now that I always do, like before, when I first started the show, I had a lot of like audio guests. So, I would phone them, I would do whatever, and I'd put up a phone or graphic. But now, where I'm video almost full time, I always ha- like having the video capability with my guests so people can see them. That people that have like, a good camera and good setup really goes a long way.
1: And then you have the Michael Leone experience where he has the setup, he has the camera, but the guy looks like a homeless drunkard this week on the golf show.
0: It was fantastic. Le- Leone, you never know what you're going to get when you tune in. Like when we did the Master Show, I was wearing a suit and tie. He was wearing like just a raggedy t shirt. Then we did the players, and Raza and I were wearing raggedy t shirts, and he was basically wearing a tuxedo.
1: I mean, Ed, my, my favorite thing was he's in a different house now, but when we used to record live shows for <laughs> Fantasy Insiders, his office was purple, just straight up and down purple. And he would have this cat that would walk around and get in front of the camera. All the time. The cat is like always what I remember about recording shows with Theoni. I don't know if he's made an appearance on your show.
0: No, no, no. The, the only uh, animal that we've really had is whenever I record record with Levy, Jerry makes a uh, Jerry makes an appearance in the background. Almost always.
1: I would get so mad at my dog if she tried to bark while I was on the show.
0: I would yeah, say, it's like it's like a good luck tip whenever someone says something and Jerry barks you got to make that play
1: yeah Levitan found a way to brand it that's uh that's very impressive by him branding I mean anytime you can brand anything with your podcast and really get people to associate with it it's a good thing like uh, right now right now I'm, I'm trying to brainstorm like segments like other things I can do other than just talking on the show and I mean it's not easy No. I mean, branding is huge. If you can turn anything... Look look at Cust.
0: Cust is basically a brand on his own
1: now. And he has no value. No added value comes from Cust saying or doing anything, but he just has brand just kind of through being terrible. It's pretty impressive.
0: It is. And he's a humorous character. People uh, don't necessarily relate with him, but they do relate with his bad picks because most people, including myself, just have bad picks all the time.
1: Yeah, it's true. I mean... And I actually think this is going to be something that's so fascinating with the implementation of sports betting. And we can just go ahead and get to the questions that I have here now. But you, I actually... You pre- you pre- whoa, hold on. You prepare questions? Yeah. Normally, normally I send it to the guest beforehand because a lot of, most of the guests I've had, I've had no interaction with them at all beforehand. Like the guy who wrote the Bitcoin standard, I'd like sent like three emails with him ever before. So I sent him an agenda. Yeah, like, I I, I mean, I guess I
0: prepare, I don't prepare questions really.
1: But you do shows about a thing. People listen to the Pat Mayo experience knowing, okay, this is the U.S. Open show. This is the Bachelorette fantasy show. People don't, this podcast is about something different every week.
0: It's true, and you have me on. We can legit talk about anything.
1: True, you actually, we're going to talk about The Simpsons later, which is like the conversation that I most want to have. But the first thing I want to talk about is... Sports betting, I think that the biggest thing that's going to come from sports betting legalization in the states is we're gonna realize how many people who are fantasy people lose money because you can't you can't fib around just giving out losing picks and I think it's gonna be really funny
0: i the the whole thing with giving out the picks like it, it's. One thing that I've always had, like uh, even when I when I was at Fantasy, and then when I was leaving Fantasy, like I had some offers being like, "Hey, would you want to come work for us? Do your videos, and like we'll package your picks together, and right. we can like sell your picks." And I've always been so hesitant to that, being like, "Listen, like I'm just kind of giving out you're information. Just a, you're just a
1: guy. Yeah,
0: he, here's who I'm playing. You can choose to follow me. Who you're not. But I felt like if the picks were always free, no one could get too mad at me if they were bad."
1: No. Yeah. Like, uh, I've had that experience providing premium DFS content. Like it's very different. Like if someone wants to get mad at me for like some, some horrible play I touted on your show, which is free. It's kind of, I I can just kind of let that run off my back. But like when people come at the written content and be like, look, these are the three running backs you said to play in cash games. And they all combined for about 11 DK points. Like you're a fraud. Like that, that actually is a thing where I'm like, yeah, I I need to be better at this. And I do feel uncomfortable when I'm not good at it.
0: Yeah. So basically I, I'm just giving myself an out that I don't need to be good at it. And if something ever hits, it's like, oh, Mayo
1: hit something. Shocking. This is fantastic. Let's actually, let's actually talk about that. Let's talk about the Danny Willett experience because I want to hear the behind the scenes, the, the behind the music on the Danny Willett bet, how you experienced that Sunday and the residual impacts of hitting that 150 to one at the, you know, the most watched golf tournament of the year for your brand. Well, I mean, that basically is the brand. That's what it, kinda, it really is. That, that's if that didn't happen.
0: I don't know if I'd be sitting here talking to you right now, to be perfectly honest with you. Like that established my golf show as a show that people want to watch. And it's funny because golf was such a periphery thing for me anyway. And it wasn't until I met Feinberg in the office at fantasy and just, it turned out we both like golf and he just bet on golf a lot. So the Danny Willett thing, uh, it goes back to Career Builder the week before. We bet Jason Duffner to win forty to one and he won in a playoff against David Lingworth. So I had just a whole bunch of money in my account, and everyone knows the week after you win. Um, most people don't go immediately cash out. They're like, Oh, no. I don't have my mm-hmm. bets. So, especially when you win a golf bet, because winning a golf bet is usually pretty big. Like you just have like an extra. It's thousand. like
1: it's like finding a it's like finding a twenty in your pocket. Like that money's never invested in anything, it's immediately being splashed on something.
0: Yeah, I, I've gotten pretty good at the process that if i hit something big like i there's a amount that i want to have because i never I, i've learned over time that I, I don't really have any interest in playing higher stakes than i do now so i yeah. maybe, there's a minimum i want to have in my account and anytime i go over that i just immediately withdraw it and so it's actually worked out i can bank some money off of it now like mm-hmm. i'm not a professional gambler but if i get any extra cash out of it. It's nice. So the Willett thing happened. He won that week too, I believe, over in Abu Dhabi. He won, he was either trending really well overseas or he had won overseas, and Bovada had not caught up to the market yet. So I had all this extra Jason Duffner money in my account, and someone actually tweeted me, like, hey, check out Will It's odds. So whoever that guy was, was re- really the hero of the but entire But I
1: team. think Feinberg had even been hammering it before. No, 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 it, this
0: happened, because I, si- I remember very vividly sitting in the office, because I sat next to Jeff, who was the single worst person to ever sit next to, besides yeah. Cam Stewart, the mm-hmm. two just single worst people if you're ever planning on getting work done. I'll not sure next to them. Um, so this guy tweeted me. He's like, "Hey, Willett is Will was on our radar, but it's like, yeah, he's one hundred and fifty to one on Bovada right now." We we're like, "What? That doesn't seem right." He was like the number twelve player in the world at mm-hmm. one point, point. and I think it really speaks a lot to how people should actually go about betting. Like, it's not yeah. that we thought Danny Willett was going to win; it was just a bad line. Like he mm-hmm. should have been fifty to one. Like basically what Willett was that year and the way that he had been playing is a lot like what Tommy Fleetwood is doing right now. Fleetwood's been a bit better for an extended period of time. But Willett was generating a lot of the same results on the Euro tour. So we saw him at 150 to one and we had all this extra money in our account from hitting the winner We're like screw it. Let's bet it. Then we you know threw it out on the show the next week and we just kind of kept talking about it only because the odds just kept dropping every single week went from 150 to 125 to 100 i think by the time the masters came around he was like 45 to 1 to win the masters and you know after three days of watching it like spieth is definitely going to win this like spieth was running away it was one of the hardest masters in recent memories and I think it was that the, was the Zach- that
1: was the year that like the the wind was really bad the first day and like Ricky was like eight over on the first day, right?
0: Yeah. And like it was the hardest master since I think like oh seven when Zach Johnson won it like one over or something like that. But the only person who appeared to be immune to the difficulty of the course was Jordan Spieth. And even through, you know, the front nine on Sunday, like Willett was hanging around. I think he was like third or he was second, but he was like three strokes back or something like that. Uh, And he'd been playing really well, they were not showing him on TV, which was kind of hilarious and really speaks to golf in general. I I
1: remember I very distinctly remember that because obviously like I've been listening to your show forever. I had that bet and I kind of saw him making a run and I remember being mad that he was not on the TV.
0: Well, it's funny. Whenever you have one of these guys, especially long shots, and they're not showing them on TV and they're lingering, that's like position A to B. Mm-hmm. Is, the moment they usually start showing these guys, that's, that, the that's when
1: they—that's when they chunk it. That's when they're in the fescue.
0: Yeah, like it, 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 it happened with Fleetwood this time. He was making like uh, at the U.S. Open because I had him again, and obviously he made his run on Sunday, and they showed all that. But on Saturday, like he was just right there. He was just lingering. I think he was like two shots off after Dustin started falling back to the pack. And like, we didn't get a shot from Fleetwood. And then any time they would cut to him, missed par putt every single time. And then he made like seven bogeys in a row. And that was the end of his tournament. But with Willett, um, it, you know, didn't really flip until speed hit the 12th. Cust immediately tweeted out. My
1: favorite hole of golf of all time.
0: Cust tweeted out that it was over. Uh, lock it up, give it to Jordan Spieth right now, and then two balls in the water later, a quadruple bogey, here's Willitt and then Willitt down the stretch was just nails.
1: He was nails,
0: yeah. Like 12-foot power putts in. Uh, so I started freaking out. Uh, I was watching it on the TV, and it was at my old building. I had just moved in with my then-girlfriend, now-wife, And we had a gym in our basement. And I was like, screw this. Like, I'm stressed out. I don't know how to channel this energy. And it's what I do for most golf events. I just go to the gym, go on the treadmill, and, like, run for two hours and watch it. And I I get, like, a legitimate sweat if I have a sweat. and It, like, calms me down. So uh, I ended up watching the end of it on a treadmill.
1: (laughs) That's actually a great way to watch sports. When I was in college, that's where I would watch NFL playoff games is I I would go to the gym and I would just get on the bike. And I, for, for four hours during a playoff game, I would just sit there and bike. I hate the bike. It's it's a much less intensive way. You, you're still getting the sweat. You're still getting some of the movement, but you don't have to stand up, which is key.
0: See, I, I mean, I don't like running, but I feel no, like... No, running is horrible. Yeah, running is pretty horrible. And I do it like five times a week, and I, yeah, and I hate same. every second.
1: And, of it. and it's, it, the people who, you know, say they enjoy it, who, you know... Talk about running. Who listen to running podcasts? No, did anyone actually listen to a running podcast? What do they talk about on a Pat, running? If you podcast? go, if you go look at like like top sports podcasts or whatever, there will be like five running or jogging podcasts in the top one hundred at any given time.
0: Yeah, that's probably because they're brand new, and everyone knows that if you have a new show on iTunes and you get like eight reviews right away, you're like, you're like, oh, more people are listening to this running podcast, and they listen to the you know, Bill Simmons podcast. That's strange.
1: Yeah, but. No, running's horrible is the Is the basic point there. And I don't my, think... My, it, my, well, I
0: my whole thing with it? it is it's not... I mean, running is horrible when you're doing it. The thing that I... The, the two reasons that I do continue to run is, one, that if I'm going to go do cardio at the gym, feel like running is the best form of cardio. Maybe not for your knees, but in terms of an actual, like, cardio workout. Running trumps elliptical. It trumps the bike. It trumps the Stairmaster. I, I don't even know what the rowing machine does, so... I, I see people using it. I've tried using it. I was like, I, I don't get it. I'm a, I, I'm a, I'm a stairmaster master guy. Stair master's like the best. I, I like doing the stairmaster after I do like weights. Like, I think that's a nice compliment cardio. Like if I'm, if I'm going running, I don't lift that day. I uh, just, cause I, you always want to do the cardio after you do the weights for like max burn and like do all that stuff. But I, I'm just so tired after I lift weights, I can't run. And I, sure. I don't want to be the guy who's walking on the treadmill because you know, if there's outside, I can just go, it's, it's like being in downtown Toronto, you can't really run anywhere.
1: Sure. Everything yeah.
0: really packed at all times. Like I see people running down the street, like on the sidewalk. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Like you're just running into people at this point. You can walk around. That's fine. So I like the running. Like if I'm just going to go do it, it's the feeling after the run. I feel so great after I run that I think, I think that's the addiction when, when it comes to it, just that that feeling you feel so good.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you can, you sleep better. You're just a little bit less anxious. Like I I'm, I'm totally on board with that. Like I, I probably run five or six days a week and I, I do hate the actual part of it, but I, don't think I could ever give up on the like the feeling you feel after a good workout.
0: But that's been my favorite part about the World Cup is like I don't really like soccer all that much, but it's sure. on at ten a.m. and I try to work out in the mornings as much as possible. That if just any sport is on, I will watch it because it's the perfect thing to run to. You can just follow along what's going on.
1: <laughs> Even Canadian rules football. Well, no, I, actually, I, I think I did have that on last night when I went. Uh, I, I watched I watched the Canadian rules football last night. I I like it.
0: I hate it, man. It is, it's just on like people experience ESPN in the states, and you know there's so many different ESPN channels that you can kind of get what you want. Hey, I don't like what's on ESPN. I'll flip it over to Fox. And you know they got baseball on, or you can go to Golf Channel and watch golf. Here, I mean, we have Golf Channel, but we don't have Fox. They just have partnerships with ours. so we have like a big two network. One is TSN, one is Rogers Sportsnet. So Sportsnet bought hockey, so that's hockey twenty four seven, and they also own the Blue Jays. So there's a lot of just Blue Jays every Blue Jays game, which is fine. But then there's right. just like hockey. Blue Jays
1: pregame, Blue Jays post game, exactly.
0: Yeah. And then on TSN, when they lost hockey that was their big property so they still do a ton of hockey like panels and crap like that which i just have which mentioned. one does
1: don cherry do don cherry's uh he, he's on
0: cbc which has a partnership with rogers so he's on okay. like don cherry's only on tv for like seven minutes every week
1: that's the that's just the the my hockey following was at like a peak when i was in high school and it has slowly decreased ever since then i know very little about the league and the, the culture of the league now
0: I mean, that's when, I mean, it was probably right before high school. I was big into hockey until like 10th grade. And then I stopped playing hockey and I started playing football. And then I just started caring about football.
1: You started playing Canadian rules football.
0: Started playing Canadian rules football. Exactly. So TSN basically owns the CFL. So they, so what, and it's just infuriating. They also do I, with, I don't yeah, I they, can't.
1: Have,
0: they also do it with curling too, because they own that property.
1: Well, curling's great. Curling is curling has got to be one of like is that like the third most popular Canadian sport to watch? I think so, actually. Like in terms of ratings, because uh, the Blue
0: Jays are sort of just consistent across the board. Like they get their viewers every single day, and baseball is really hard to judge in terms of viewership because it's not like if it's a playoff game, sure, but you know when they're playing the A's on the West Coast on like August third at 1130 at night, uh, they're, they're going to get their like 300,000 viewers regardless. So with curling, like in terms of like actual like single event ratings, I think it goes hockey by far. Um, and then it goes CFL and then it goes curling. I think that's what it was. At least when I was in broadcasting school, that's what they told me. I never really looked into
1: it. I assume they weren't lying. Is, is there a professional curling league? Is that, is that a thing? I, they try to do these like off brand
0: events um they're sort of like skins games i guess but like P- P- americans seem to like curling because they see it once every four years it's not so hot when it's on three times a week or even in through like the summer so yeah I-, I don't think like professional curlers make that much money it's almost like your back-end cfl players like they're all gym teachers or they they own a landscaping company like there's other jobs that are associated with it
1: What was your what was your CFL or what was your Canadian rules football position? What what position Uh,
0: did Pat Mayo play? uh, So I guess it was ninth grade. I played like the equivalent of I guess it wouldn't be Pop Warner because I think I'm very confused about how some of this works. But like maybe Pop Warner is just for kids. But I didn't play high school my first year. I went and just played like uh, the city football league. But I, I the four years I played football, I played quarterback all four years.
1: Wow, Pat Mayo the quarterback. I, like, how is it, that? Has that ever come up on the Pat Mayo hour or experience before?
0: No, I don't really like talking about it um, because a, it's not like I was a, an all pro quarterback by any means, but like, I, I hate when people are just like, Oh, I know everything there is to know about quarterback. I played quarterback in high school. So like, I know I'm like, no, you don't know. <laughs>
1: High school high school baseball guy, from my experience, is actually far worse than high school football guy just because high school baseball really isn't even competitive because most of the time there's these giant talent disparities and also baseball is horrible.
0: Yeah, well, I, well, I mean, I love baseball. I, I don't even watch baseball anymore, but that is the sport that I played for the longest. I think I played baseball from, like, age 5 to 21. Like, when I was playing... When I played football in high school, I played on the football team. And I played on the baseball team.
1: Were you were you quarterback pitcher combo? No, I was a catcher. That's that's I you're you're like a kind of a slight guy. I would not project you to be a catcher. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I guess I'm a slight. Maybe now. you're ta- maybe a, you're taller
0: than I realize. No, no, I, I'm I'm not large whatsoever. You also have to remember, I, I'm from the east coast of Canada. There's not a huge talent pool to draw from here.
1: That's I mean, I'm from I'm from like a a small town in Kansas, though. So there wasn't a giant talent pool there. And I remember the catcher of my high school baseball team being a giant dude.
0: Yeah, mine was just all arm related. Uh, I couldn't really I didn't have the velocity to be a pitcher. But I I had a cannon arm and then I tore my labrum in grade 12. So
1: that was bad. (laughs) So so in Canadian rules football, why do all the wide receivers run towards the line of scrimmage? How did that rule? Like, I, I, that's, the, that's the main part that I don't get.
0: Well, because you're allowed to. Why wouldn't you?
1: Well, I mean, you make, a, you make an excellent point. That's the part I like watching about it. I think that makes the game so much more. I think there's so much you can do with that. I wish they could do that in the NFL. Like, I, I find be, that fascinating. It
0: would, it would be so unfair In the NFL, like imagine like, hey, let's motion Julio to the slot and give him a, you know, a 10 yard. Right, he'd be open every start against a DB. Everyone would just be open. Like the CF, the one thing about the CFL is that it makes for really, really good highlights.
1: That's true. There has been there's been some just in like because I've actually made an effort to watch this year. And there have been some like pretty amazing like catches and stuff that you do not see all that off. You don't see that sort of stuff in college football, really. And the field is bigger too. So you get like, I remember when the end zone is 30 yards deep. It's amazing.
0: It's 20 yards deep.
1: Well, it looks 30 on TV.
0: It it, it does. Uh, And the field is like, the the big thing is like, it's an extra 10 yards because it's a hundred meters. So it's 110 yards Uh, and the field is wider. So like the guys that are going to always generally have the most success like remember Brandon Banks when he was uh the returner like the little tiny returner for the Redskins
1: oh yeah he I, he pl- I've played him in CFL DFS already
0: yeah he's like the, the the at least for like 2 years he was like the king of the CFL no one could literally catch up to him
1: <laughs> yeah and they're they're so for people who don't know they're they're like outside wide receivers so like the X and the Y they they do not run towards the line of they no. have to stay stationary
0: so the position that you're talking about is slot back, which would be... Yeah, and
1: those a are the guys. Position. Yeah, and those... So, like, the equivalent of, like, like, there's a guy named Luke Tasker who is the famous Tasker's kid, and he mashes every game because he's basically Julian Edelman, and he just runs those slot routes and is uncovered every play.
0: Yeah, I mean, but I think one of the things that people don't realize about the CFL is that there's a minimum requirement of Canadians you Canadians have to have on to your team.
1: on the field, yes. Yeah,
0: and, and they're not good.
1: So there, there is uh, one guy, one running back. Well, there's probably a, a lot, but there's one running back who's Canadian, who's like actually playable, and he's got this like he's like one of the highest paid running backs because you can actually keep him on the field. You can yeah, actually well, have him on the field with other Americans.
0: It's like having like if you play like uh, beer league mixed softball, and you have the really, really, really good girl that your team yeah, you're gonna picks. crush. Yeah, your team just wins every time. It's like having a really good Canadian in the CFL.
1: Yeah, but the the quarterbacks do not have to be Canadian, which is why every quarterback in the CFL was a good college quarterback in the United States.
0: And those guys get paid, for real. Like, they they yeah, make, like, they, I mean, they, it's not like NFL money, but like some of these dudes are making like, you know, 1.5 million, stuff like that. Well, the other guys on the team make like 30 grand.
1: I would actually, I would honestly actually compare the structure of the CFL to the MLS. It's, yeah. it's like, it's like honestly the same thing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the thing is, I, I once got punched in the face for this. I mean, I've been punched in the face a lot of times in my life. Sure. This, this, this was one of the, one of the last times I've, I've cleaned up my act as I've gotten older. But I lived in Calgary for a year, um, and the Grey Cup was there that year. It was also the year that the Detroit Lions went 0 16. And I think it was great cup weekend. I just got smashed out at the bar and I was talking to some guy and we got into an argument and cause you know, I was pretty lit up at the time. Uh, so I felt like I really needed to get into this with him that he was just like the Stan Peters would crush like half the NFL teams. on like, yeah. am like, are the Owen 16 Detroit lions would beat the Calgary Stan Peters by like a hundred points. It's like, well, what if they played CFL rules? It's like, well that will make things easier. The Detroit Lions.
1: Yes, and and NFL athleticism would would kill. I was like, they have Kelvin Johnson on their team.
0: If they just threw it to him every time, he would catch it every. And the big, the biggest discrepancy that I I think that a lot of people who watch it don't realize, like you actually wouldn't. If you were the Lions, you wouldn't even need to use Kelvin Johnson in this game. If you handed the ball off and ran it every single time, like in the CFL, you have to play the defensive line has to play a yard off the offensive (laughs) line. So just imagine the size of NFL offensive linemen versus the defensive line of a Canadian football league team. A a...
1: a CFL linebacker can be like 190 pounds. That's like a real thing that they throw those guys out there?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a speed game, obviously, because there's not a whole lot of running. But if you had an offensive line that could just dominate, like uh, when I went to college, uh, our football team, I believe we won the national championship twice when I was there and it was just because we had giant people on the offensive line who crushed everybody.
1: What college did you go to? Uh, St. Mary's. I didn't even know that Canadian college football really existed.
0: Oh, yeah. You got you to play for the
1: Vanier Cup. That's amazing. That's, that's, like, that's, that's very amazing. Uh, something I did also want to talk about, we can, we can exit the CFL talk. So everyone, if you glazed over, During that, we're going to come back to Pat's expertise. I actually just hold on. I have one final comment about the CFL. I'm I'm here for the CFL talk. I brought
0: it up. I like it. There is nothing more disheartening in sports that you could ever hear than the team just went two and out.
1: Oh, so that it that it really makes it kind of brutal to watch. If there if there is a game where for you know if the weather's bad or the quarterbacks are just having a bad day like watching two and outs, is, is is it's very brutal and you
0: you look at some of the NFLers being like oh they have a crappy punter oh that field goal kicker is no good yeah just watch the CFL <laughs> and but, but, and, but but you can
1: of- <laughs> you can score points on punts though you can score a point on a punt you can get yourself a rouge so actually real quick before we keep going I want to I want you to tell your your recent Johnny Manziel story okay so And
0: this is, I actually have a picture of it, which I did not put out. Because, I mean, if if people have made it this far past the CFL stuff, that, you know, they can know this. Uh, So I was at a bachelor party during Grand Prix weekend in Montreal like two, three weeks ago. And the Hamilton Tiger Cats, Johnny Manziel's team, were playing the Alouettes. That day, like during the afternoon, so we were out at some like daytime club, which turns into a nighttime club. And then Johnny Manziel just shows up, not drinking. So good on him, because uh, you know he has to curb that. But he was not afraid to be crushing cigs. I didn't know he was there until I went for a cig and saw him smoking.
1: The just the very concept of professional athletes smoking cigarettes is so weird to anyone. But just given like the statistics of the population, some athletes have to smoke. i I would bet
0: it's mostly nhl
1: players i know that uh old dallas cowboys running back felix jones used to smoke
0: good i loved felix jones now i love him more
1: and uh vlade divak definitely smoked yeah there's i mean if you start like
0: hockey would be the big one just because and i bet you soccer players do too like the, the eastern european guys all love smoking
1: oh yeah any any serbian definitely
0: yeah, so I mean the Raptors have a you used to have a ton of Serbian players like Bino Udre, I, I'm sure he smoked.
1: So I had some minor league soccer players on my podcast last week. Now, is that to mean MLS or is it like something below that? Something below that. Okay. They're, they're over here from England and from France, like kind of like in a very, very interesting system. That was actually my favorite episode of the podcast that we've done so far. But something that they said was that Some of these guys they've played with who are better than them, who are at like a higher level of soccer, they don't, in Europe really, fitness is not something that they train for. Like when you go to a soccer practice in Europe or even basketball practice, you're not running suicides. They just want you to be good at the game. So I think it would be way more common for a European to smoke because they're not, they're like, yeah, I can go out and play 90 minutes of soccer. That's fine. But I can't run, you know, a 12 minute, two mile. Just because it's all about the adrenaline and the skill of the game as opposed to being like perfect physically.
0: Yeah, I mean I mean maybe that's where a big advantage could come in later down the line in soccer where you could find some sort of fusion of both where you can have these highly like skilled guys you teach all the skill to and then you can somehow work on conditioning with them. But just playing soccer in general is conditioning. You're just running around.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's like it's a good fast twitch muscle too. But I I just thought that was interesting that they, that they basically were like, no, we didn't run like they, in their academies when they were kids, like training for soccer, they did not like do sprints at all. Whereas if you've ever played a sport in America and I'm sure in Canada, your practice was at least half of it was just running.
0: Oh yeah. I remember just doing lines in a, in hockey, blue line, blue line, blue line, Mm blue line, blue line, red line, blue line, red line, back to the icing line, back out to center. That's, that was half the practice. Um, just being able to be conditioned, but I think that speaks to, and maybe it's not just a North American philosophy and maybe it's just strictly an American type thing. And just America has so many great athletes cause there's so many people that, you know, the talent level between a lot of these guys isn't all that big. Like you have your outliers that are just amazing. Yeah. but When you get to like your second tier of high end athlete, like conditioning is what makes the difference. Cause the skill is very much the same.
1: And it's like, I'm, there's definitely something to like the want to win factor and all that, but there, there really is no good reason that the United States should be bad at soccer though. It's like the most tilting thing in the world to me that they're bad. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. To be perfectly honest with you. Why do you think it makes
0: sense? Because you're not, I know I, I, people have said this argument before and then people can say it's, it's flipping, but just, you're not getting your best athletes. It's the same reason you don't win at hockey.
1: We're like we're significantly better at hockey than we are at soccer, though. Yeah,
0: that, that, that's because other countries in the world aren't good at hockey.
1: How many countries in the world are good at hockey? Like you, see, you say, it would be. I, I would say Canada, U.S.,
0: Russia, Czech the, Republic, are
1: three Scandinavian countries. Nah, not Norway. Uh, not Norway's not good at hockey. No, and there's four Scandinavian countries. Um, What's the fourth? Denmark. Denmark is not Scandinavian. Yeah. I would not. I would not. I would. I would think of it as Sweden, Norway, and um, what I'm blanking. Finland. Yeah, Finland. That's no, what yeah, I, I would, no, I would. I no, would say no, it, it, it's
0: it's the t- it's the top three, and then you you have to include the Jutland Peninsula once you go into it as well.
1: Okay. Well, f- w- geography lesson. I, I'm big on geography, by the way. Really?
0: Yeah. My my wife actually told me last night that the, the, the only reason she's with me is because I'm handsome and I'm good at Jeopardy. <laughs> I think I'm was- actually
1: I would I'm actually quality at most trivia games just because I've read so much in my life. But do you,
0: do you know who the single person is who you never ever ever want to play in trivia? Cust
1: Feinberg? Yeah. Cust. Cust
0: yeah. is. I mean, the guy does have a PhD. Like, calling him a doctor isn't a lie. Yeah. Uh, he's not. A, he's not a medical doctor, but what's the, his PhD in? Uh, I believe it's in political theory. He should be smarter. He He's incredibly smart. He's just when it comes to talking about sports, he, he goes by gut only.
1: <laughs> well, when it when it became clear to me that he went sock shoe sock shoe. <clears throat> That was, that was it for me. Like there's no coming back from having that be a part of your daily routine. Yeah. I mean,
0: he, the thing is he's such a good speaker. He was the best man at my wedding and he gave, I've never been to a wedding where the best man gave such a good speech. It made poor Gary and cry. Um, it was very good. Uh, but like he would give like when he was, uh, teaching in college like he would be speaking in front of 2,000 people and like no one agreed with him and thought he was a bit weird but everyone showed up every single class to his lectures because they were so good
1: yeah I mean I buy that but the sock shoe thing that really yeah, threw nuts. Me off. it's yeah. nuts so I want to I want to hear how you came to care about the game of golf because I don't get the sense that one that golf is golf can't be that popular in Canada, right?
0: It's pretty popular. I mean, golf is well, you have to think about it this way. Who likes golf in America? Just demographically. White people and not only white people, but
1: no, more wealthy white people. Yeah.
0: So, per capita, Canada has way more like affluent white people than America does.
1: Well, I mean, that's just math. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, and we have a vast landscape up here where you can fit i believe canada minnesota has the most golf courses per capita of any state in the union and i think canada as a whole is about on par with that so there's just a ton of golf courses and golfing i mean for me in toronto it's super expensive just because it's toronto but outside of toronto in like vancouver and if you lived
1: in saskatchewan would it just be like free basically
0: yeah, it'd be like you go pay probably 40 bucks, you get 18 holes, you get a cart, and you're playing a good course. So a lot of people do golf, and golf and hockey go very much hand in hand. Like you don't play hockey during the summers, you play golf, or you play baseball, that kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, it, it's a lot more popular, I mean, it's not like the, the national sport of Canada, yeah. but I know most of the people that I know golf in some sort of way. Hmm. whether it's through work, whether it's, you know, that they like to golf. Like, I don't know a lot of, like, really, really high-end golfers. I know a few. But, like, I would find it hard to be a really, really good golfer. That's a lot of time you got to spend golfing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I maxed out at, like, a 16 handicap. That was right where I was at before I had to have, like, a surgery on my arm because it got really jacked up.
0: Yeah, like, I only play, like, once or twice a year now just because I don't play. The only time I play is when I go home to visit my family uh, just because, I mean – living down here I don't own a car and the only nice courses are like Glen Abbey which is like an hour away and just I, I have no interest in doing that and I work most weekends so it's kind of tough and I got to watch golf for for my job so yeah I just don't play that much anymore but like I'm even like I, I played like three weeks ago I shot a 53 on the front and a 39 on the back like I am just so inconsistent now Like I can be really good but I can never piece it together for 18 holes.
1: It's a pretty good score. That's nothing, that's nothing to be ashamed of.
0: No, I'm like an 18 handicap and I, I rarely play. Like when I was a kid, I played a ton. Like, I think I played 91 rounds one summer when I was like 13 or 14 and I actually got really good.
1: So how did the golf betting thing start? Is that, is that Feinberg and then, and then the Willet thing and then DraftKings offering the Millie maker? Was that like, was there ever a conscious decision to make golf your brand?
0: No, there wasn't. I actually, the only reason that, and it's funny because something happened a, a few weeks ago. Uh, Adam Daly brought this up to me. He brought it to my attention, at least. This guy had like plagiarized his column, And I was like, that sucks. Like that that's a, it's a horrible move for whoever this guy is. Like it, it, in the grand scheme of things, it's an, inter, it's an internet column. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, and so I went and looked at the article and I started reading it. And because he had put up like, Next to like, here's what he wrote and here's what appeared in the article. So I started reading. I was like, man, that's like basically word for word. Then I read the next paragraph and the next paragraph was completely ripped from my column that week. I was like, oh God, like this. He just, he just went around and like took a, remember those CDs like now, like now it was basically
1: that. It was just a a best of, of the travelers championship or whatever.
0: Yeah, it, It was a compilation mix of like all the columns from around that week and no, so we got on the guy. The site took it down. They apologized. Like it's not actually that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason that I started writing golf in the first place was when I got to Roto Experts. I think in like twenty ten, uh, the same thing happened at Roto Experts. The guy who was writing their golf um, ended up. I, I think he kind of did the same thing. He plagiarized something and got like fired immediately. And mm-hmm. then they didn't have a golf writer. So I've actually been writing about. And I just took it over because I was begging for just more exposure, things to write, something like that. And I like golf and I had played like Yahoo fantasy golf. So I knew enough about the players looking back on those columns are just pathetic now, like how little I actually knew. Um, but I just started writing golf every week. So I would just do the golf column and it was good because you know, like seven years later, I know all the courses inside and out. Like it's easier for me to write the columns now, but that's when I first started getting into golf, but it was not popular whatsoever. And then after the Willet thing, um, it was just really just having a rapport with Jeff. Jeff wasn't on air at the time. He was producing Gabe Morenzi's TV show. Um, and I, I thought he was funny. Uh, I thought he knew about golf. And we had a really good rapport. So I just wanted to work him in. And that time at Fantasy too. it's right when I, I was doing the audio podcast, but I hadn't started doing the video podcast yet. And it's always just easier. And the shows are always better whenever you can have your guest with you in studio. Uh, you can play like with you and I, it actually works out quite well because we have a good rapport uh, mm-hmm. that I don't need to see you or be looking at you to kind of know when you're going to talk or we're comfortable with cutting each other off. or
1: Right. Yeah. Each other. That's actually, that's actually huge. Is just being able to get someone to stop talking in the middle of a sentence when they're getting boring
0: exactly thank you and thank yeah. you for doing that anyway with Jeff there and plus his weird facial tics made for video just hilarity but it was just a way to incorporate that in then people liked him people liked the show they thought it was funny and then we hit a big winner and then all of a sudden the DraftKings Millionaire here comes around like you mentioned and all of a sudden like people care about golf and myself and basically Josh Culp and the tour junkies are the only guys in the space like if people know me, I was baseball, football, baseball, football with the side of golf that no one cared about. And then all of a sudden people started caring about golf. And I was one of the few guys actually doing it. So that became my brand just, you know, by a weird outside circumstance.
1: I mean, pre Willett and pre Millie every week, my golf research of like the available stuff consisted of the shots gained, the strokes gained stuff on the PGA tour website. Your podcast and Josh Culp used to have one that he does not have anymore. Or wait, do they do it now again? I know they stopped doing it for a while.
0: No, I think he just uh, contributes to Roto World and has some like offshoot stuff with like Roto Grinders now.
1: Yeah, so they don't. They don't. He had he uh, for you guys who don't know Future of Fantasy Josh Culp on Twitter, and that that was it. If you if you wanted fantasy golf content, there was Pat's Show, there was Josh's Show, and there was um, uh, Notorious his stuff on RG. And that was, I really think that was about it even three years ago.
0: And look how much golf content there is now. Maybe I'm in a bubble because I follow a lot of the golf no, stuff.
1: No, it's, you, you, it's everywhere. You can't escape it. It's, it's a premium thing on all of the sites now.
0: It's also probably the most fun daily fantasy sport to play. And it's the most fun sport to bet on. So, it uh, is.
1: It I, is for me. It is not the most fun sport for fantasy, but not even close. It is the funnest thing to bet on. In you all you
0: don't like it for fantasy because you're not good at it, or because. I mean, I, I'll
1: be. I'll be honest. I'm not great at it. I don't think because I never really have been a good tournament player, anyways. And the structure of golf is such that if you want to take it seriously for cash games, you just have to stick to a model and you have to grind it fifty events a year. Like you can't kind of pick and choose your spots just because there's so much noise in it. No, oh, I, I don't even play cash games of golf. Yeah, and so I mean, I do still play. Most weekends, I throw in one tournament lineup. At least the majors, I do play cash. But yeah, I think it's fun for fantasy, but it's way more fun to bet on.
0: Yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, it's probably is like I said the most fun sport to bet on. I think people like it from like a, a DraftKings perspective because it's the most bang for your buck. I mean, most people play DraftKings for entertainment. Not everyone is a pro. That. If you yes. spend your twenty dollars on a football lineup, you get a day worth of action on it. If you spend twenty bucks on an MLB lineup, you get like five hours worth of action. With a twenty dollar golf lineup, you get four days worth of entertainment out of it.
1: Yeah, and that's—I mean—that's a huge selling point for it. And you don't have to know a ton to get six to like to win once. Like Agreed. definitely, like you can you can bink once, and that's and that's huge for it. But, yeah, I, that's kind of – that's interesting to me that uh, the biggest thing associated with your brand, you never even planned on it being that?
0: Yeah, I, I, it's funny. Like, people – I think industry-wise, people now associate me more with golf because I have stood out in that facet because there's so many different people in football. But the people who actually follow me, like, my following is from football. People still care, like, even downloads on the show, views on the show, article clicks. It's football – is 10 times bigger than golf.
1: See, I would not have assumed that I would have assumed that your clicks, that your subs are up exponentially because of golf.
0: I I think the more impassioned person who really likes uh, my show, my columns act sort of thing. I think that the really hardcores really, I mean, they like both, but they're here for golf a lot of the time and people like tune out after football season. But when football comes back, uh, it's just an avalanche of people reaching out and, downloading and watching like uh, I'll always notice it like uh, even like when you think about something like Twitter and you see like your follower count uh, I mean for like a major I'll pick up a bunch and then throughout the course of whatever but for like week one of football like for I think it was like five straight years I basically doubled my follower count during Mm -hmm. August for the ramp up to football like that's and I try to take football as seriously as I take golf now like uh, I put golf on the back burner during football because as everyone in this industry knows football pays
1: football's king
0: Football allows you to do whatever else you want.
1: People, people who follow me on Twitter don't. They're they're no. They don't really enjoy the experience anymore because during the off season, I don't engage with football stuff all that often. Like it's mostly I mostly tweet about about soccer and golf now.
0: Yeah, I can see soccer being more alienating than golf, especially in America.
1: Yeah, people like just if I tweet about soccer, it'll be like one retweet, three faves, no replies. But if I if I tweeted like one football statistic about something Martavis Bryant did last year, you know, 13 retweets, 49 faves, 16 replies.
0: I I made a very conscious effort this year to stay out of the football fray until like now I've started to ramp up fantasy football coverage, like preseason stuff over like the last week or so. Like I, every year I've been trying to push it back and push it back just because I like football, but I don't, for me, I don't need it to be a 12 month a year thing. Like if I'm doing fantasy football, like I'll do draft stuff like a mock draft show in right. April because that's fun. Like I enjoy hearing about it. I don't watch college football, so I like having people on to tell me about it. and mm-hmm. It's fun to you know, see where people go wrong, what are teams going to do. And then it, it's a good like jumping back in point like, yeah, hey, what are the team needs? And then you get to like catch up with who's on everyone's roster, who's changed, who's been cut. Look at the new depth chart. So it's a good research spot for me. But like, I, I don't think that on May seventh. I, I know there are people that demand to hear about fantasy football, but like, I, I just, I always try to approach my content as a consumer. Like, what would I want to listen to right now? Mm-hmm. If it was May seventh, I just wouldn't want to hear about fantasy football. I just wouldn't care.
1: Yeah, no. Right now, I mean, honestly, right now, the podcasts I'm listening to are NBA offseason stuff. Oh, it's I thought like, you were
0: gonna say I thought you were gonna say running podcasts.
1: It's like right now, it's like World Cup. NBA offseason history, pop culture, like in that order. Football, no football podcasts are in my rotation right now.
0: I have a good uh, history podcast for you if you want. If you want to get in,
1: uh, that's actually a key element of this show is uh, podcasts that uh, we all listen to.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I'm trying to look up the actual name of it right here. I have so many shows in like my my iTunes library, and I, how I many how
1: many like, podcasts do you, does Pat Mayo subscribe to?
0: One, two, three, four. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 times two, 28 podcasts.
1: That's probably right about my number, two.
0: And I, I definitely do not listen to new episodes of all of them. I'll pick and choose.
1: No. So I just make a value judgment when I see it in my feed. And if I'm not going to listen to it within 24 hours, I just swipe to the left and delete it and and i have some uh some
0: podcasts on here just like friends in the industry like yours for example like even if i'm not going to listen to yours that week if i'm not interested in the subject i still download it the download
1: the download helps i appreciate that i actually don't care if any of you listen to this but please download and please leave a rating and review yeah i i did both I, I know. I know how much that helps. <laughs> it it is like it's like unbelievable the iTunes algorithm. How much someone leaving a five star review and saying good pod helps. Yeah, no,
0: it, it's shocking, and it literally takes fifteen seconds.
1: Yeah. Uh. So twenty eight. That's probably about mine. Do you have? So what's the history podcast?
0: Uh, it's called the History of World War II podcast. Okay. So they're on episode one hundred and ninety five now, uh, and I've listened to like the first. She is ninety one
1: or so. Do you it, do you pay for any Patreon podcasts? No, I do. I do pay for one. What is it? Talking Simpsons.
0: Oh, really? I I've actually heard really good. Maybe it was you who was telling me about it, but I I've heard good
1: things. It's it's uh. I've I paid for two other Patreon podcasts at some point. It wasn't finding it worth. Like it wasn't like it was breaking the bank, but I just wasn't listening to it consistently enough. But this one I listen to every week. Like it comes out on like Wednesday mornings, really early. It's like a first thing I listen to when I wake up. It's 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 fantastic. That's my favorite one.
0: Uh, there's there's also a Civil War podcast. I think it's just called The Civil War that I subscribe to. I actually haven't started listening to it yet, but it's like the history of the Civil War. I'm actually. Like, I I have a very strong base in, like, world history, but I have a very flawed base in American history.
1: Because you grew up in Canada?
0: Yeah, like, I mean, I I didn't even have that great base of, like, Canadian history, but like, giant geopolitical events throughout history, I'm very intrigued about, but like, there's something about American history, and and, like, the Civil War in in particular is just a very, like, just blind spot for me, that... You know, you, you know, the dates, you know, the lead in, but like, you know, the, the actual like what happened during the war, I have no idea.
1: I mean, I'm an American citizen and most of the education we get about our history is like horribly flawed because public schools are so limited in what they can communicate. So every time I do listen to a podcast or watch a documentary about some war thing that the United States is involved in, you learn something horribly new every time because you're just not allowed to be taught those things.
0: Yeah, like so, this World War II podcast is it basically takes you from like what the politics, it starts basically after the First World War in Germany and how everything sort of played out when they they weren't allowed to build an army. Uh, when they had to make reparation payments to all the other countries, um, and then sort of how that affected the economy, and the economy was so bad, and it was such a horrible place to live in Germany after World War I, and how that sort of led to the rise of Hitler, and the ideas, and how people were so willing to get behind it, because, hey, the economy's doing great, uh, all of a sudden, because he just, made, after you know, and then you know, the Reichstag stuff, um, how he actually ascended to power, his backstory, but it also tells the story of like, Um, how the Japanese and Chinese conflict affected World War II and how that led to Japan getting into the fray as well, Uh, how Korea played into that, what was going on in England at the time. Like, America doesn't really make an appearance until just before Pearl Harbor, which is way into the podcast.
1: Do they talk about any of the conspiracy theories involved in World War II that, like, that they knew about Pearl Harbor potentially and let it happen to give them an excuse to join and stuff like that?
0: No, Uh, it's more, it's a college professor. I think it's a written podcast. So like, I think he's reading off the script and the guy is very clearly a, uh, probably like eight time history PhD. So I think it's very like, at least research factual. I'm not big on conspiracies to begin with. So I I actually kind of like, there's no conspiracy
1: talk. Not big on conspiracies. I I, I would say as a 25 year old, I've actually just realized that most conspiracies come from I used to think it was people I would politically agree with, but actually no, now, I realized... no, 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 no,
0: no, it's, it's just it's, crazy
1: people. It's just all like alt right people who think the government is out to, is out to kill you. I, no, I it's, it's I mean
0: there there's a large collection of alt right people, but th- th- don't forget about those people on the fringes on the left. They're just as crazy, just in a different True.
1: way. Yeah, but it, I, I, it's it's that I used to think that that a dis, like a, kind of a healthy distrust of the government from those conspiracies was a, a good thing, and now I've realized that. The actual conspiracy is just that these people are not, they're not afraid of you. They just want to take your money and, and stay in power, which is kind of a disheartening thing to realize as an old person.
0: As an old person, you're 25, please. What, what, what I wouldn't give to be 25 again.
1: But, yeah. but that, was a, that was a turning
0: point for me, being 25. That's when I got my life together.
1: Yeah. So, favorite episode of The
0: Simpsons, go. You Only Live Twice, the Hank Scorpio episode.
1: Wow, that's top five for me. Hank Scorpio, I think. Mine is um, One Fish, Two Fish, Blue Fish.
0: Really? You're going to season two episode?
1: Yeah, that's the one. That I have like a very strong memory of watching it for the first time. And I just, I thought it was just such a great show. And it's, I think people that go back and watch The Simpsons now, if they didn't watch it growing up, they expect it to be kind of like Family Guy, where like it's just jokes. And it's, more,
0: it's more jokey.
1: Not the the Family Guy, but like, I mean, Family Guy
0: basically ripped The Simpsons playbook from seasons four, five, and six, but just made dumber jokes.
1: Mm -hmm. And and The Simpsons often tells, you know, a a good, meaningful story, and it's also hilarious. Well, I I feel like a
0: lot of my pop culture, like, database that I can, like, draw from, I mean, just all the stuff that I never got a chance to experience. Like, why do I know that Richard Nixon's
1: dog's name is Checkers? Just any any cultural reference from the '60s, '70s, or '80s that I know would definitely come from watching The Simpsons. Yeah, it has a good
0: base. I feel like that's been the problem with now that we don't have we have so many outlets to consume media. Whether it's there's podcast, no monoculture, there's no monoculture, so it's it's really hard. I mean, that was one of the great things. Like when I met my wife, I mean, I met her on Tinder. We met up like for the first time. That's right.
1: That's where I met my long-term girlfriend
0: see it works i mean you're just it's no different than playing mass multi-entry on DraftKings. The more lineups you have hey, the higher percentage it's not exponentially higher but you're giving yourself more options and that's all tinder was you got to meet so many people that you just wouldn't meet that you know you're giving yourself better odds to meet someone who's right for you
1: it's true wow we're really getting into it
0: yeah so but anyway we had like we're we had We're both, we actually both went to St. Mary's at the same time, never knew each other. She's from the East Coast like I am. We met in Toronto, but like we spoke the same language. We had the same like reference background. And I couldn't imagine like if I was like 22, I mean, even with you, like being 25, like when you meet people, like they, it must seem like a lot of people speak a different language.
1: You don't, you don't have common interests with most people. Yeah, I would say. Like it's just like you. You probably don't watch the same TV shows. You probably don't listen to the same podcasts. You probably don't. Like, it's it's very everyone is is consuming content that is just hyper specific to them. Yeah, which is both
0: good as a consumer, but it's oh, you know, it's bad at the same time. Sometimes having like a Game of Thrones is like the only thing people can rally around anymore.
1: Yeah, or or Westworld.
0: I hate Westworld.
1: I'm it's undecided bad, on it.
0: It's a bad show. Okay, it, so do you know what it has? And I get why people like it because it's very sharply made, and not all episodes are bad. Right. But it seems to have taken all the worst parts of like the Matrix sequels and Lost and Breaking Bad and put them into one.
1: But I, I loved even the bad parts of Lost.
0: So uh, listen, I love Lost, but it, it seems like but the thing with Lost is that there's really good parts too. Mm-hmm. And that's why people originally liked it. I actually, I, I think the people that, when they consider like the bad parts of Lost, that's actually the parts that I like. I don't like the good parts of Lost. Like, as soon as we start getting into time travel and Lost, I am a hundred
1: percent all in. I mean, I, I was a hundred percent all in on everything that, like, I, not a pet peeve of mine, but just when people say they didn't like how it ended, just couldn't. I, I didn't love how it ended, but I don't really care. It didn't affect how I liked the show. I kind of I kind of thought the ending was good because if you thought it was all going to tie up and it was all going to make sense, it wasn't really the show for you.
0: I guess so, but they kind of led you down the direction that they had some sort of end goal that would have been, I don't know, explaining it a little bit more. I just, I, I get how they ended it because they, they always said this is a character-driven show, but no one liked the show because of the characters. People liked it because of mysteries and craziness. I liked, I liked the characters. I like the characters too, but I didn't think it was like a character based. No, it's not like
1: this wasn't a Shakespeare play being, being written for the American audience. Like it wasn't the wire.
0: Like put it this way with Westworld, Westworld goes the other way. At least with lost, you had some depth of character. Now, half the time they contradicted themselves as the seasons went along when you Mm -hmm. looked at their backstories, but I feel like I would be better served if Westworld was more focused on either cut down the amount of people they're showing per episode or give us some backstory on some people. Like, there's just stuff happening. And it's like, all right.
1: <laughs> they do just, so I am not done with the second season because I'm watching it behind, not, not on TV. So I'm, I'm like a couple of episodes into the second season. And I, and I will say where I'm at right now, I find William to be the most interesting character, the character I want to know the most about. And if that is not explored further, if his journey and his story is not explored further, I will be disappointed in the quality of the show. It reminds me. Do you ever watch Empire? No. Okay, so I got into like the Empire
0: like craze during the first season when everyone was watching Empire, and there would be a twist, so that they really did like. You know how at the end of like, like I really think that if there was no Lost, Breaking Bad would never have happened because Breaking Bad really perfected the Lost formula of storytelling where every episode left you on a good cliffhanger but right. it was more thought out and really pieced together really well. And there were far fewer episodes, which you know, really helps any TV show. But Empire just accelerates that to every level. So not like every, every episode ends with some sort of twist or cliffhanger. Like every act break ends with a <laughs> like Stuff changes like eight times during an episode, and it's just yeah. insane. Uh, I had to stop watching it because it was becoming too much. But like, at least they were having fun with it. I just feel like there's no fun in Westworld.
1: Well... Yeah, and I think part of that comes from the fact that they're trying to build on the, this idea, which is Michael Crichton's idea his whole life, which was just that you really need to think out all of the possible ramifications of technology before you implement it and before you become involved and invested in it, and that's a really good idea for an hour and a half long movie, but for a three season long show, I think that idea gets a little tired.
0: Yeah. I and mean, we'll see maybe they pull it back maybe maybe when we look back at seasons 3 4 and 5 of Westworld that seasons 1 and 2 seem better because they were able to flesh everything out
1: and it's i mean it's kind of the reason why like I, like did any of the episodes of the 4th season of Black Mirror get you at all yeah
0: well, i i really like the algorithm episode like the the fake San Gennapero, which I actually enjoyed more than San Gennapero. Shut Up and Dance. No, Shut Up and Dance from season three. Season four, Hang the DJ. I really liked Hang the DJ.
1: Okay. So I think that Black Mirror basically is like the law of diminishing returns. Well, it's... it's they, it, with it, with it every works. episode, you, you, you're just like, okay, I get it. I do oh, like you know what? I, I really like USS Callister. That was my favorite from the fourth season as well. So, but I mean, it was really, really long. And I, I actually liked the
0: last episode, Black Museum as well. Um, just it showed because it had the three different stories in it that I, I don't like. I like USS Callister, but I don't need my
1: Black Mirror episodes being two hours long. I don't mind. I don't mind them being really long. I, the anthology episodes are their best work, though.
0: Yeah, like the White Christmas episode. Like, what, what is your favorite episode of Black White, Mirror? White feel- Christmas, like not even close. Oh, see, mine shut up and dance, or it's White Bear. It's one of those two. Both those, that's the vibe that I want from Black Mirror. I either want it to be kind of fun, like Hang the DJ was, or I want it to be not like Metalhead. I, I like Metalhead and I, Is that I like the one that- with the dogs. Yeah. And it's it's sort of a companion piece to that one from season three, the second episode with the VR. Mm-hmm. Like I-, I like that within the seasons they're now experimenting with different genres of, like, that, that, that's a horror genre type of episode, but it keeps everything in. Like, uh, Crocodile from this year, which I didn't really love, was, like, a, like a serial killer type thing. Um, and it had that vibe to it. Um, just, there's something about, like, the bleakness of those two episodes uh, of White Bear and Shut Up and Dance. And it seems like it could be grounded in today, which I think is especially creepy.
1: Yeah, I, I see that. I just think that, like, I remember watching Black Mirror through, because when I came to it, all three seasons were out already, and being so excited for the fourth season. And then, like, like USS Callister I liked, for sure. But definitely realizing that there is truly own so far, only so far with the visual mediums that we have available to us and with the storytellers that exist now, that you can take the concept that maybe technology has gone too far.
0: Yeah, and I think you're right when you say diminishing returns on it solely because we're already seeing some of the technology repeat itself in because I, I mean you have to base the technology
1: on these, things that humans can currently conceive of.
0: Yes, so there's only so much that you can do. You just need to. I'm curious to see about season five to see if you know maybe there's a different storytelling act, like axe to everything. Maybe that's the way to approach it. Um, but I am. Uh, you can go like I think Reddit has its a feed. I was reading something about it, but like the the actual Black Mirror timeline that all of this is happening on a timeline. You can piece the episodes together.
1: Well, yeah, there's the one song that's in every episode, right? Oh,
0: I didn't even know that.
1: Yeah, there's there's one song that's in every episode. Either it's playing on the radio or a character singing it or mumbling something. Is that the? I noticed it uh, in Crocodile and I guess the
0: second overall episode, the one with uh, the guy from Get Out. Um, yeah. The one the one that she sings on that like American yeah. Idol type show. I've noticed that song a few times. Is that the one that's in every episode? Yeah, it's in every
1: episode. Or at least I think it is. But I've heard it in most of them.
0: Yeah, so I mean, trying to piece together that timeline. It's a fun show. Like, And I'm really digging anthology series. There was another one that came out of uh, Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams, which is basically like the minor league version of Black Mirror. Did you, did you really... watch
1: Man in the High Castle? I had watched the first
0: two episodes and I was like no. Like just Fucking get on with it.
1: I I like. Oh, this is this is what we'll end on. Handmaid's Tale. Why is it so painfully slow? Why is it the most know, painfully I, slow? I, pain I watched, on television? I watched ten minutes
0: of it and I just couldn't do it. But I also have a beef with Mar- Margaret Atwood, so I will not.
1: You have, have beef her. with Margaret Atwood? Yeah. Explain the okay. Absolutely perfect way to end the podcast. Explain your beef with Margaret Atwood. Okay, she's a neighbor
0: of mine. So no way. Yeah. So the way that Toronto works is, I mean, now everyone's basically, I think it's like the fifth most expensive city to live in in the world now because pricing is just ridiculous on houses. But uh, I bought a condo on like a main street. So it's not like, it's pricey, but it's not like super pricey. But you have your like your main thoroughfares in downtown Toronto and in between them are all these side streets that have just exceptionally large and expensive houses. Mm-hmm. So one street over for me for like three streets, they're just mansions. Uh, and a lot of, uh, you know, ca- Canada's wealthiest people like live within like 20 minutes of me and she's one of them. And I was, there was a thing that came out. They want to start building high rises up where I live. And you know, I guess I can see it from her perspective that, you know, she doesn't want high rises around, not that she has any sort of view, but she just doesn't like that. So she's petitioning for no high rises. However, the single best property to build a high rise on is my condo building. It's the biggest property around. You could build underground parking. You could build back, a 40 story building up on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know if that was to happen, the value of my house would be worth like four times as much as it is now so uh, I would prefer that happen, and I don't need her going to, like, city council and telling them, like, and, like, rallying the people to keep this out. I want it to happen. So she's just working directly against my personal interests
1: here. So I hate her. That is, that is the most beautiful ending to the exploration into the mind of Pat Mayo that I could have hoped for. You really, you really brought it with unexpected anecdotes
0: this is what I do. I don't get to talk about this stuff anymore. It's because where this is just audio only. Like I always felt my show was more consumable and more fun when it was audio only because with video, like when you get into like broadcasting and start doing things simply like having to look at the camera the entire time is somewhat jarring. It throws you Mm -hmm. out of your element. You can't be as natural as you want to be. So I you're, feel like
1: you you just need to be more focused. You need to be more cogent. You can't be looking at your phone. You can't be Googling stuff. Like it's a, it, it's a big difference.
0: Yeah. And I go into every show with basically like very rarely will you see me with a computer in front of me. Sometimes I'll have an iPad just to reference things, but I don't really use it. Like the majority of my shows, like if you, I have you on to talk like DraftKings football, the only thing I have in front of me are the list of the DraftKings prizes.
1: Yeah. Cause you need to have, you need to have the prices, but yeah, like I wouldn't, I would like never do a show without having the access to statistics just cause I don't want to plan that. I don't want to plan that much out. Yeah.
0: I, I don't want to plan it out, but at the same time where I know that it's sort of a forced environment by having to look at the camera and mm-hmm. address the camera and move the show along in a certain way and hit certain things that the only way that I can really come off as unrehearsed is if I just kind of try to commit as much to memory as possible and then just talk about it. Like I'm a regular human.
1: All right. There we have it. That was that was the Pat Mayo experience on the Tatecast. Let let people know where to find you, where to find the show, and how many five-star reviews to leave. Yeah, if you could leave a million five-star reviews, that, that would help on the Pat Mayo experience, and it's
0: available now. I think I've worked it out that anywhere you, where you can physically get a podcast, you can get it. It's for free. I like the video version. That's on YouTube, although I listen to more podcasts and I actually watch stuff on YouTube. I do put in a lot of... Uh, Graphical data uh, information. So if I'm like talking about Ricky Fowler, for example, or I'm talking about Le'Veon Bell, uh, instead of me having to read out, and that's the single thing I hate the most about podcasts when people are like, here are his rushing stats from last year um, with the video medium, I can actually just put those on the screen and not have to talk about them uh, and tell the story a little bit that way. So YouTube DraftKings page, Pat Mayo experience, the DK live app. You can find it up there as well. Uh, the best place to actually track all the content you'd think it would be Twitter. It's not, it's actually my Facebook page. Cause that's all I use it for is just to list every new show that comes out. I, I have an assistant that runs it. I don't even monitor it, but she just posts everything on there. So that's actually like the feed of content. So please check out the show if you haven't already. And, if you've made it this far through it, like God help you. But I actually had a lot of fun, Davis. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, it was great. And I guess we probably should have led with this. But also as a result of this podcast, we're giving away a year membership to the Fantasy National. Um, so all you're going to have to do is retweet a tweet to becoming coming, subscribe to the show, leave a rating and review. And actually, I'm going to be a hard ass and say, you have to send me a screenshot of you leaving a rating or a review the same way I did when I gave away uh, a spot to the Scott Fishbowl. Because guess what? When I gave away a copy of the Bitcoin Standard, the book, you guys retweeted the tweet, but you did not leave ratings on the show because uh, apparently you can't be bothered to spend eight seconds leaving a rating. So do that, giving away, giving away a membership to the Fantasy National, follow Pat, follow me, and uh, I'll be back uh, a little bit later.